A confident sighted 12-year-old goes blind. For those of us who are sighted, our automatic emotion is one of pity for the little girl. Is it dark when you are blind? How can you manage without seeing? But have we considered that those of us who are sighted focus a lot on ourselves with selfies, Facebook and Instagram, and perhaps don't see as well as a person who is blind? This is Between Us, Stories of Unconscious Bias. I am Smitha Tharoor. Hello. I'd like to introduce Sabrie Temberkan. Sabrie knows what it is to be marginalized as she became fully blind at the age of 12. Sabrie studied Tibetology, Central Asian Sciences at Bonn University and developed a Tibetan Braille script. Since then, she traveled on horseback through the Himalayas in 1997, and she discovered that Tibetans, who in majority are Buddhists, have a stigma against people with disabilities. Especially blindness is seen as a punishment for something that you have done in your previous life. Accordingly, blind children in Tibet are often neglected, locked away in dark rooms, or sent to the streets to beg for money. Experiencing the situation inspired Sabrie to take action. In 1998, along with Paul Cronenberg, Sabrie Tambakan started the first school for the blind in Tibet. This school formed the foundation of Braille Without Borders, an organization that empowers blind people to take their lives in their own hands. In 2005, Paul and Sabrie also founded Kantari in Kerala, a leadership institute for social change makers. Kantari fosters individuals from all over the world who have overcome adversity and because of that carry a plan to create social change. In fact, when I was last speaking to Sabri via Zoom, I remember that she spoke to somebody who was there from Afghanistan. So literally people from all over the world are now there in Trivandrum in Kerala. If this is not enough to keep her busy, Sabri is a public speaker. She's also the author of My Path Leads to Tibet, a book that has now been translated into 16 languages. And with Paul, she also took part in the award-winning documentaries, Blind Sight, and Kantari change from within. So as you can all imagine, I am hugely looking forward to talking to Sabrie and to hearing her stories of unconscious bias. Thank you so very much, Sabrie, for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. So unconscious bias is what we're talking about, Sabrie. So what do you understand by those two words? <laughs> yeah, but I, after we had talked last time, uh, first of all, I try to translate it into uh, German. And uh, what I found out was um, Voreingenommenheit. And I, I need to translate it back to English. So what does that mean? Voreingenommen. Being Voreingenommen means um, having a picture beforehand or a pre-picture. And then, of course, the unconsciousness comes uh, into place. And when I when I thought about that, it didn't sound so bad anymore because normally we we are talking about he is biased, or she is biased against, you know. So normally, it's 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 something negative. Um, and after I translated it into German, having a picture beforehand, I asked myself, well, why do we actually create pictures beforehand? Mainly because 
we need to maneuver through this very, very complicated world. Uh, and I became less biased against biased or being I love biased. It. I love it, Sabri. <laughs> I am smiling and nodding to myself to hear you there. I mean, we, I wish we all spoke German. And if we could only just Google translate into another language and understand the simplicity of these two words. Because to me, this is the power of it, you see. Rather than looking yeah. at it in a negative way, which <laughs> so many people do, you have you have accepted that this is, of course, there are 100,000 images that come across to us on a daily basis. And how yeah. do we then filter? And so we create a picture that that's, that's brilliant. Thank you. So, so what does that mean for you, though? What does that look like in terms of your stories of creating pictures beforehand? Um, see, I mean, uh, we, we do uh, create pictures of, uh, of terminology, uh, terminology, for example, blind, the picture of what does blind really mean? I think we talked about this last time already. Good. I don't think that blindness is such a bad word. A lot of people uh, think that uh, we have to replace it with a better word, right? Uh, especially here in India, they try to be politically correct and they say, uh, you, you cannot use blind, you have to say visually challenged. And then I always ask myself, hey, wait a minute, I'm completely blind. I'm not visually challenged, right? And blindness, actually makes me challenged in a, in a completely different way. I have to use my brain all the time, right? Um, I would like to, to go back to, to Tibet to explain one little incident, which, um, which showed me very, very much how, how strong this bias against blind people can be, but also how you can transform the negativity into a very, very positive, uh, idea. So, for example, we went with these kids, with these blind kids, who, mm, yeah, who were at the margins of society, were pushed to the margins of society by society, by their own families. Uh, we we travelled a lot, and we also visited monasteries. Um, by the way, we uh, we visited Buddhist monasteries, and most of our kids were practicing Buddhists. So we had this this uh, honor to meet a very high lama from, uh, I think it was the Drepung Monastery, which is a very famous monastery in, in Lhasa. And we went there um, and, and there was Tenzin. And Tenzin asked this really high authority, religious authority, why am I blind? Uh, and then this, this this guy tried to, I, I have to say, guys, sorry, it sounds disrespectful, but, but I, I really have to say it. This, this, try, uh, this guy tried to make it very simple. And he said, because you are punished for something you have done in your past life. And actually he went even a step further. And he said, you must have been a murder in your past life. And then this kid, I mean, to try to tell a kid you have been a murder in your past life right and leave it alone i mean what this 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 man didn't have definitely no no understanding of psychology but um i also must say this this child um and now adult he is now in, in the mid 30s um he was back then he was a very very reflective young fellow and he he thought about it and he was not actually frustrated he thought about it and I asked him about it. I said, well, what's, what's your, you know, what's your idea about it? And he said, you know what, well, I wonder, 
If I have been punished through blindness, why am I so happy? And why am I so lucky to actually be able to do so much more than my sighted sisters and brothers? For example, he can read and write, right? And uh, this is something very powerful to, uh, to change um, a bias, to change a prejudgment to something completely new, right? To something, um, yeah, to, to, a, to a completely new concept. And I think uh, if we have the power to reflect on biases, if we have the power to step a little backwards and, um, and not just follow authorities, not just listen to what authorities try to tell us, but really re critically reflect whatever somebody is saying, and uh, you have to imagine this is a very hierarchical society, right? I mean, the, 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 the lamas are very high up there. And this little boy of eight years old, he says, no way, I disagree, you know? Or at least I'm confused because he says I'm punished. I don't feel punished. You said quite a few very interesting things here, Sabri. And I want to just kind of, kind of summarize them for my own understanding. One, uh, because as you know, I'm of Indian origin and people from India also believe in reincarnation. And if I were to, 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 to kind of to say it slightly differently, um, what's going on in your present life could have an impact because of what you did in your past life. As, yes. to, as was said to the child when he was seven or eight, that you might have been a murderer and that is why, uh, um, you know, you're going through, an, you know, you're going through a blindness, you know, you're born blind. But yeah. there's, there are culturally, and this is also part of our unconscious bias, which is kind of the headline of what we're talking about. Culturally, people are able to give explanations for bad things happening to them because yeah. of the cultural involvement of, in this instance, reincarnation. And mm -hmm. what happened in your previous life impacts on your present life. Certainly somebody born and brought up in Germany would not match with that because that cultural influence is very, very different. Then alongside that, there was something else you said, which is the fact that he accepted what, what this hierarchical leader said to him, that, you know, you were a murderer in your previous, it didn't bother him. He accepted it because that's his cultural DNA. What happens then happens now, it's fine. But it didn't bother him in any fashion to make him feel lesser than. If anything, it was the opposite. He was confident in himself and he genuinely saw himself as a happy child. So I wonder, with this eight-year-old child and his family, was there more cultural influence that gave him a sense of his own self-worth that perhaps other children did not get, that challenged other people's negative unconscious bias towards him? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. He's coming from a family that is... Um... Uh, most of the people in his family uh, are illiterate. Um, he now is the only one who is basically earning a lot of money. <laughs> he, he's uh, the, the person in the family that is taking care of the family now, nowadays. He has a huge business. Uh, he's running a, a big uh, massage clinic and, um, and has a lot of employees. Uh, I think this, this little kid was just really a reflector and a and a very critical thinker. And of course, in our school that we 
we created, uh, we didn't really create a school. We we thought more of a springboard, right? And um, discussions, for example, debates, um, reflections. That was a very, very strong, um, yeah, it was a very strong point in our daily life. We were constantly thinking about why are things happening the way they are happening, right? Um, and and uh, children would go into the habit of questioning. And I I do like that. They, they would not question it, uh, things in a negative way, but they would uh, start to look through and start to try to understand um, why mm, society behaved the way they are. So for example, when we had little children who, who came and they say, why do they throw stones at me, right? And we had, we had these discussions, right? And then other children who were longer in our place, they say, yeah, because they are stupid. They don't know who you are and they don't know that you're a human being and they don't know that blindness is something um, uh, that has also a lot of advantages. For example, you can read and write in the dark. Who can do this, right? Um, so I, I do feel that, especially working with kids back then, I worked with kids, now I'm working with adults, but for adults, it counts the same. I think it's very, very important that we are constantly reflecting on uh, what people try to make us believe and um, how is the reality for us? What do we believe? What do we make out of it? Uh, and this is getting out of the unconsciousness of our biases into the consciousness of our biases. Of and course, that's it's very just, difficult. Yeah. No, but that's very Sorry. powerful, Sabri, because I think this little boy uh, was very lucky because he was already in your school in Tibet and had already begun to learn to read and write before he met that, se that senior lama when he asked that yeah. question about exactly. why am I born blind? Right. And what had happened with him, and this is the point of, when I talk of unconscious bias, I talk about how we, all of us, are influenced by our narrative, our life story. Yeah. And if you and Paul had not come into his life and set up that school, he would be a very different child today. Uh, yeah. I'm not saying it's only because of you. He obviously has the intelligence, the wherewithal, had everything that he has done, but that was your that was a stepping board. He had the opportunity of using Braille Without Borders, uh, the school that was there, um, yeah. to, to empower him. And yeah. that then became his new narrative. And that's what makes somebody, you use the word reflective. I would say, mm. I would say it slightly differently. I would say that it makes us more confident in ourselves. And by making more confident in ourselves, we can then challenge our own unconscious biases, positive or negative, and, and, mm -hmm. and be more successful in what we do. But yeah, but, but no, it's fantastic. So, so let's go back a bit, Sabri. Mm -hmm. because, because in my introduction of you, um, I said that you became fully blind at the age of 12. So, so perhaps could you share a story with us about that? About yeah, zero and to I... 12, and, and then what kind of stories would there, have, would there be around unconscious bias with regard to being able to see, and, and you're absolutely right, not being visually challenged, but being blind. Yeah, um, I can actually start with a bias, with my own bias against blind people uh, when I was sighted. Um, I must say, I, I was very much influenced by this portrayed uh, blind persons in uh, in television. You know, you see them stumbling around, you see them uh, looking in the air, you see them not 
really communicating, um, yeah, trying to find their ways with their hands and trying to, or, or looking a little bit like drunkards. And I was, um, yeah, I, I, I was very much biased. And then on, on top of it, I, I had a, um, a, a record uh, of, or a fairy tale. Uh, and in this fairy tale, there was a blind person and he uh, tricked people all the time. Um, so um, I felt that blind people were not honest, were um, not from this world, um, were begging, were um, getting on our nerves and didn't belong to us, right? And That I was really, your story. That was, that was your my, narrative. Yeah. yeah. That was my narrative and that was my prejudice against uh, blind people. Um, and then I became blind myself. And of course, it didn't go overnight. It went very, very slowly. Actually, I, I still remember um, that it was not me that recognized that I'm blind, but actually my friends, my so-called friends, who were my friends before and then later didn't want to be my friends anymore. Um, and uh, yeah, they were making fun of me that I was running against doors and windows um, that were open. Um, and one day, I, I still remember, I, I was standing at a lake that was frozen, and uh, I could still see. Um, and I looked at my friends that were ice skating on this lake. And normally on a lake, you, you go crisscross, right? You are not like an Epicup Center, just going in one circle. But they went in one circle, and I wondered, why is that, right? And I was a bit... Um, yeah, annoyed, I thought, hey, hey, we have the freedom to go wherever we want. So I took my ice skates and I jumped on this lake and I, just, I, I went right through the middle of the circle. And yeah, you can imagine why they actually made a circle. It was because there was a hole in the middle and I went right in. I mean, Oops. it was not dangerous. Yeah, it was not dangerous, but it was, but it was it, exactly. It was a cold awakening, I must say. It was a cold awakening that I couldn't trust my eyes anymore. And now mm. being a kid with prejudice, being a kid also that bullied, um, that was ganging up with other kids. I was, I was a, a favorite for, for a lot of children, right? I was, uh, I was with a lot of other kids and we were the strong ones. And now I had a weakness um, and it, was, it felt horrible. And and, uh, and then, of course, this teasing started, you know, um, uh, in German, we have a very interesting uh, word for uh, to tease somebody uh, who, who cannot see and it's blind cow. I mean, you would never say that in, in India, I know, but <laughs> in Germany is really a bad word. You're a blind cow. And um, so when I when I heard this the first time I, I felt I felt so miserable and I, I had the feeling my life was ending here. I was sidelined. I felt I was really afraid of being now the one who was going to be bullied. And in fact, it turned out like that. Um, I was really afraid of um, being discriminated, being singled out, being lonely. But much, much more than that, I was fearing darkness and of course sighted people have this myth around blindness it's not it must be dark so you you only have poor you you only have the imagination just to close your eyes or the methodology to close your eyes and then of course that is for you blindness now sighted people would tell me it will be dark one day 
And then I went into the basement and we have basements in, in Germany that can be very dark because there are no windows. So I switched off all the lights and I tried my way, my, my way around and it didn't work. I fell over things, I hit my head. It was not a nice, it was not a nice life. And I thought like, if I have to live like that all my life, how terrible would that be, right? And um, that made me actually a completely different person. My parents, they became very, very worried because from an extrovert, I became an introvert. I didn't talk. Um, I took myself out of, um, of the world, so to say. I saw myself stumbling through the world and I felt this is horrible. I hated blindness, I really must say. Um, but also children have a resilience or a lot of children have resilience and a lot of children have this power to get out of there. And, and I must say, I have great parents who believed in the strength. They, they didn't protect me. They didn't overprotect me. They actually said, well, at one point you will get out of the mess and you will take yourself out of the mess. So this is the strength they gave me. And uh, they read books to me, which, which was uh, which, which something which normally had something to do with my life. And for example, one book was about the black power movement and how um, black people in, Ameri uh, in America through this movement became confident about themselves and about um, black is beautiful and black is something to care for and, and so on and so forth. And when I, when I heard this the first time, black is beautiful, I still remember how I was laying on my bed and, and I just knew a few words of English and I thought like, Black is beautiful and blind is black. Maybe blind is beautiful. And that was a huge, huge turning point in my life where everything from being completely in the hole started to lift up again. Um, where, where I could see a ladder out of the, the crevasse, right? And, um, and I took this ladder and then I asked myself, so what is actually beautiful about being blind? And yeah, sometimes I, I talk to kids about this and a lot of blind kids, they, they don't have a, an answer about, nobody is asking them what is beautiful about being blind, right? But then when you ask them further, they, they realize, hey, there is something beautiful about being blind. So for example, I can memorize phone numbers much, much better than my peers, <laughs> right? I can... You can. I, I can focus. I am not influenced by Bollywood and Hollywood so easily, right? I can focus on what really matters or I can communicate and I have to communicate and I have to be clear because blindness forces me to be clear. Um, there are a few I'm things here, Sabri. And so on and no, so on. I mean, I, I'm, sorry to, I'm sorry to interrupt, yes, but you've no said problem. such amazing, powerful things and I, and I want us, all of us, the listeners and myself to really capture those and grab those because I was I was seeing you as a little child 12 years old and don't forget 12 year old girl rising teenager think of young girls in the west and in mm. India or anywhere anywhere in the world as you're getting into your teens you've got your hormonal changes happening within you you've got oh, yeah. you know other priorities about being visually beautiful and I don't know, you oh, know yes. all kinds of important things and suddenly over a period of a few weeks or months, the rug is, is just pulled away from under your feet. And you go from being this 
extroverted, a popular young girl about to be a teenager to someone who is bullied because yeah. she cannot see. And I really yeah. want, I really want from, us to understand. From a bully, from a bully to becoming a bullied. Yeah. Well, I have to say that. Thank you for I, that I really honesty. have to say that because, because I was not a nice kid always. Um, or well, thank in, you in many for your honesty. Times, you know. And so, so yeah. there's somebody else now and there is this, this young, young woman, 12, 13, 14, you're, you're growing into yourself at this point and you're finding yourself. And then what you said is the wonderful example of how you came out of that deep dark hole is this one sentence black is beautiful and you and you <laughs> put you know you you focused on that blind is beautiful and you came out of that and and talking to children and i wanted to take something else away from that second part of what you said which is again about our self-belief you know being comfortable yeah. in ourselves and seeing the positive in ourselves because all of us human beings have good bad and ugly within us none of mm -hmm. us are amazingly exactly. wonderful none of us are amazingly bad with the very, very, very odd exception of maybe extremely, uh, 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 I don't know, some kind of mental psychopathic kind of human being, most human beings are nuanced and we have yeah. a little bit of everything within us. Absolutely. But any of us don't have that self-belief to focus on the good things within us and yeah. to pat ourselves on the back and say, hey, I can do this. And so you started finding, like you did with a little boy in Tibet aged eight, you started finding things instinctively within you that made you feel good about yourself. And we said something when we met the last time, Sabre, which was about unconscious bias. And I said to you, I always interview only on audio and no video because I don't want yeah. to see your face. Yeah, and I don't exactly. want to see your face because I don't want to be influenced by your expressions or I don't want you to be influenced by my expressions. I want to listen and really yeah. focus on what you're saying. And I said, you are so lucky, Sabri. You don't need to do that because you're <laughs> exactly. listening. Yeah. You're exactly. already there. You just yeah. do it instinctively. And I yeah. have to work so hard at it to really listen to what you're saying without looking at you. Mm. And there's your yeah. plus and you've just got it there. And I don't have it. Have to work at it. <laughs> and by the way, the good news, it's not dark. I mean, that's ah, really tell us more. It's not dark. <laughs> yeah. What is it? No, it's, not, it's, 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 it's absolutely not dark, at least not, not for me. And I actually, I've never really met a blind person. And I asked them honestly, right, is it dark? And I say, not really. So the, the problem is people think it's dark because they think if you don't see, it's dark, right? But um, imagine you have a shoe and your big toe is in the middle of the shoe. I mean, it must be dark, right? But it, it's not dark because the, 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 the toe doesn't see. Now, <laughs> this, is, this is something that somebody told me. Is that uh, a German problem? One. No, no, no. This is somebody who told me who has uh, lost one eye. So he's blind on one eye. And I asked him, so it must be dark on this one eye. And he said, no, because the eye doesn't see. Right. So with me, it is still a little bit different. I think I see. I mean, an ophthalmologist would say, no, you don't. Right. They have tested it many, many times because I, I, I never, ever felt that I'm blind. So when I. Well, you went horseback riding in Tibet. You can't go horseback riding in Tibet. I saw the if landscape. You felt, if you felt that you can't see. 
I mean, from where I'm sitting anyway. Uh, well, but, but, but actually, actually, a horseback ride was a little easier because the horse can see and I just have to um, uh, rely on the horse, right? But um, in, in, a, in a way, I mean, when I'm sitting on this horse, I can really enjoy the landscape. So whatever I hear is immediately translating into pictures, right? And whether it's for eingenommen, so what I said, my bias, um, my pre-made picture or the picture that is made in myself. It's, it's, it's really, again, this picture that I create from the world surrounding me. And I must say, who knows, maybe my pictures are much more colorful than uh, pictures of a lot of sighted people, right? And the question is anyway, do we all see the same pictures? Is that really, is there, is there, is there to say, is, is there, um, a true for everyone that is basically looking the same. That's, that's a question of mine, right? Um, so the, the the thing is, what what I found out uh, with twelve, and I'm really grateful for that. Actually, I'm very grateful for my life, right? I'm I'm grateful. If I hadn't been blind, I had never met Paul in Tibet. I had never had the great chance to start the first school for the blind in Tibet, and I had never been here in in Kerala, starting a center like Pantari and meeting so many really interesting um, uh, people who are coming from all around the world and who have overcome adversity in their lives and are able to transform this adversity into, um, in, into strength and into powerful ideas that make the world a better place. I mean, it sounds cliche, but they are really doing it, right? And um, there's another thing um, when we are talking about bias. Society is very biased against people who are engaged in projects that are going beyond their own interest. And now we are working here in Kampari. We are working with people who are all here because they want to do something that goes beyond their own interest. They want to help the environment to, um, uh, to, uh, to get protected. They want to help children to get protected. They want to empower women who are facing violence. They are into peace movements and so on and so forth. And these are all people who have experienced adversity once in their life and uh, who have gone or, or who have overcome this adversity and now are transforming it into something that will help the society to change in a very positive way. And I ask myself, why is there such a strong suspicion against people who want to do good, who want to create something new, or who want to um, make social changes possible and changes in general possible and yeah who are not interested just in their own career and in making money and this this creates a lot of suspicion in people and I really really want to fight against that because I see all these these people from all around the world who come with their stories let me let me tell you one story we had, we had a guy from Uganda, and you know that in Uganda, um, there was a civil war in Uganda, where Joseph Kony was kidnapping a lot of children from villages, and he was one of them. He was kidnapped uh, with uh, five of his brothers, 
and they had to be yeah they had um, they went into the forest and he stayed there for i think a month and he made sure that his brothers could, could flee but because he was a strong boy they wanted to keep him and they wanted to create a killer machine out of him so Kony, uh, this terrorist kidnapped children to make killer machines to um, yeah, to to go into the villages, to take over villages, and to, uh, and to kill people. So and and they tried to force him to kill a disabled person, and he said, "I cannot." And then they say, "Yeah, but then you know what we are doing. We we have to kill you." And then he said, "Yeah, well, then you maybe have to kill me." And then he tells us how he stands there in this forest, um, and waiting for the shot from from this boy and there there was another 17 years old and he had to shoot him and he he said well this minute I, I he even heard the shot already but there was no shot he heard the shot in his ears and there was no shot and then he said why don't you shoot just do it and then this this kid he said well i cannot because i know your father huh. so then he said well then shoot me in the foot and let me go so he did, and he was he he could still run, and and he was found. Later, he said, "Well, um, this this made his life a or this was a turning point in his life because the fact that they were trained to become killer machines to kill disabled people in the villages." Um, he said he wanted to change the society, and he became a teacher for people with disabilities. He became a teacher for deaf people and for blind people. Then his first son was born and he was deaf. He became deaf through malaria or through the medical uh, medicine he had to take uh, from malaria. And then again, the whole society went all over him and he said they, they had this bias against him. And he said, well, first of all, he, he could escape from the jungle. Then he is um, a teacher for deaf people. And now he has a deaf child. He must be a witch. There must be some something um, uh, funny about this guy. Uh, so they completely isolated him. Even his wife left him. And he was alone with this kid. And you can imagine in, a, in an African society, a man being alone with a little baby boy. So he, he took this baby boy and he said, well, this boy has a right to live. He is deaf, but he has a right to live. And, uh, and he went through, through churches. He actually was a preacher himself before. And he went through churches and he lost his religion throughout um, because he said, well, the people were not listening. They were just thinking of themselves. And uh, later he came to Kantari um, to, to learn how to, change, um, how to change attitudes of society towards uh, people with disabilities. And not only towards people with disabilities, but also towards parents, for example, of disabled children um, and uh, he came back to Uganda and he started a school which is called the very special school not the special school but the very special school where he has children with special needs and uh, children who are so-called disabled but he says well we all have a disability and he sees disability actually as the mother of invention and the mother of innovation because we only create things when we have a lack, when we have a limit. And we therefore we have to embrace our limitations That's and brilliant. our disabilities. That's so brilliant, isn't it? That when to, to, to look at that word in a positive way, uh, and it's when we don't have, that's when we create. 
And yes, so if you exactly. have a disability, let's be, that's such a powerful moving story, Sabri. I was visualizing this little, maybe 14, 15 year old boy in yeah. the forest in Uganda. Oh, my word. We have so much <laughs> to learn from so many people around the world. But how exactly. do you manage, Sabri? How do you manage, you know, you support other people um, in, within the Kantari organization, but how do you manage on a daily basis your own unconscious biases? What do you, how do you learn? <laughs> yeah. Um, first of all, it's, it's very difficult to manage unconscious bias. We have to make the unconscious bias conscious first, right? Yeah. And that is only possible if you are open to reflect and open to be brutally honest to ourselves and about what we have done. Um, and are not just looking at ourselves to pat ourselves on the back, but also seeing what went really wrong today. Um, how can I change? How can I make this better? Also being able to apologize. Um, I think in the society where everybody um, is praised for what they are, I think we unlearned to apologize and to, to really say we, we were at a, we, we mistaken. We are mistaken sometimes or many times, right? Probably once a, a day, probably we are doing something foolish. Hmm. And um, I think it's very, very important, especially in this time where now is my bias against sighted people. Okay, can you? <laughs> I, I hope you can. Go for it, go <laughs> you for can it. handle that. Um, I, I think sighted people can be very, very, um, very much focused on themselves. Um, that is fed through selfies. It's fed through Instagram. It's fed through photos. It's fed through likes, um, Facebook likes. I mean, how many people are so addicted to their Facebook likes, right? Um, and and uh, how many people are so addicted to their phones? Uh, of course, I mean, I lived in Tibet for a long time. I didn't have a smartphone for a long time. But um, I do feel uh, coming back into this world, and now I'm living in India where smartphones are really, really pay, playing a very important role. And I do feel there is too much, especially in these times of crisis, especially in these times of lockdowns, especially in these times where we are actually separated through um, social distancing. I don't like this word social distancing, right? We have such a focus on who we are, how are we perceived, how are we, um, how are people looking at us, right? Um, that we forget to communicate. And I think communication is so important. Now we have here in Kantari um, with people from all around the world, all different backgrounds, we have one very, very strong rule. We have an auditorium which is the meeting point, which is uh, there for dinners and lunches and, um, and breakfast, but also where we have a lot of sessions and workshops going on and no phones are allowed. So it's a complete phone-free zone. And it's not easy to implement that because a lot of people, I'm the only blind person right now in, in the campus, um, everybody else is sighted, and people are clinging to their cell phones and are clinging to uh, their social media and to their Instagrams and to their um, whatever is boosting their confidence. And I think we should try to gain confidence through communication, through listening to each other, through talking, through sharing stories, through also apologizing if we did something wrong through reflecting, um, 
our own biases and through making our unconscious bias really conscious. And I think this is only possible if we interact more and being more face-to-face. -face. Luckily, the Kerala government welcomed um, us to, uh, to open this year. And we have 17 people from around the world who are here to learn how to, yeah, how to make their societies, how to make their places a little bit better, um, how to make positive changes in their world. And we are very, very grateful for that, that we could in this really strict times, of course, we have to have strict measures, of course, during, uh, through, through COVID, but how we can actually operate and, and help um, people to get stronger to overcome this crisis together and not That's just, just by themselves. No, yeah. and that is just, it is so powerful, Sabria, it really is, because uh, it's really about humility, it's about self-reflection, it's about genuinely listening and communicating with openness. Uh, and yes, I mean, you know, the social media and phones and so on have taken <laughs> over the world, uh, and you have an advantage because you're not dependent on that, unfortunately. Most of, the, most of the world looks at smartphones every day, many times a day. But there was a time with sighted people or blind people who did not have smartphones or any phones. Yes. It was just a landline. I grew up in India where we, we had exactly. one little phone and that was it. And, and so, you know, people were, so some aspects of communications change and we need to, to go back to the old days in some ways. But I think the other point of really being humble and, being, and listening and self-reflecting is so powerful. It's wonderful. I could keep talking with you forever, Sabria, but I think we should stop. <laughs> For people who are interested to know more, you can Google and find Kantari.org. Kantari is spelled K-N-T-H-A-R-I, Kantari.org, and you'll find out what Sabria does with, uh, with Paul Cronenberg. Sabria, Sabria Tantabakan, thank you so very much for sharing your <laughs> stories you. of unconscious bias. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, please do share with someone. That's the best promotion the podcast can have. The more we hear these amazing and brave stories from speakers around the world, the more we can learn about this important subject of unconscious bias. I'm Smitha Tharoor. See you next week.